Well, we're at church, so we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus this morning. Everybody cool with that? If you have a Bible with you, open it up to Mark chapter 10. If you're sitting next to someone and they don't have a Bible, you can share with them. If you don't have a Bible at all, it's cool. We'll get you through it. Don't worry about it. But if you got one, Mark chapter 10, we're going to be looking at a historical account from the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter. It's a historical account that illustrates for us some very real spiritual truths. And when we look at this text and study it for a few minutes this morning, it's going to reveal to us some things about ourselves. Some things about ourselves that you may not know or that you just needed to be reminded of or that you already know. It's good to remember, but as we look at this text, we're going to discover some things about ourselves quite possibly. And more importantly, we're going to discover a couple things about Jesus, who he is and what he does. We're going to see in the text before us that Jesus performs a miraculous physical healing on a guy, a blind guy by the name of Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus we like to call him. And so there's a physical healing, but we're going to relate that physical healing, meeting a physical need, we're going to relate it to our spiritual need. Because that's the most pressing issue. The spiritual needs that each one of us has that are common to humanity is the most pressing issue. So let's look now in Mark chapter 10. We're going to start reading in verse 46. And we'll just read a few verses. It says, and they came to Jericho, little city in Israel. I've been there. They came to Jericho, and as Jesus was going out from Jericho with his disciples in a great multitude, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. And they called the blind man and said to him, Take courage, arise, he is calling you. And casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, which means my master, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following Jesus on the road. So we have this incredible historical account of this amazing thing that Jesus did in healing this man that was blind. And there's two things that we want to keep in mind as we speak about the story. The first thing that we want to keep in mind is that this man was pitifully aware of his condition. He was pitifully aware of his condition. But secondly, and perhaps more importantly, he was wonderfully hopeful about Jesus. We want to keep that in mind. Remember, we're going to relate it to our spiritual needs. This man was pitifully aware of his condition, but he was wonderfully hopeful about the person of Jesus Christ. 
This was a day that forever changed his life. But it started, I'm sure, just like any other day for him. I'm sure that Bartimaeus woke up that morning and where he lived, there would have been no luxury. There would have been no conveniences. There would have been no comforts. Remember, he was a blind beggar. He may have been sleeping out of doors. If he had any shelter at all, it was scant. It was barely existing. He would have woke up just like any other day, and then he would have, before the markets opened and traffic was on the streets, he would have made his way to the place where he begged on a regular basis. He would have made his way feeling the walls of the city, perhaps knocking some sort of cane in front of him. Finding that way to that familiar place, he would have huddled down on the side of the road, covered himself with his cloak in shame, and thrust forward his hand in utter need. Something that he had done day in and day out for years. And there he sat, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar on the side of the road. And you need to realize that at the time in the first century, Jericho was a very religious city. A lot of the Jewish priests resided in Jericho. It was just 18 miles from Jerusalem, and they would hang in Jericho until it was their turn to minister in the temple, and then they would head up to Jerusalem. So it was a very religious town. But you got to understand that religion did not respect the blind in those days because the blind were illiterate, and Braille had not yet been invented, and so they were unable to study in a religious culture that esteemed study the study of the Torah and the law, the Old Testament. And so he wasn't esteemed at all by the religious people that were abounding. He was thrust to the side and marginalized by them. And he was also, as a blind beggar in that day, he was socially powerless. There wasn't a lot of infrastructure in those days. There weren't a lot of social programs. And this man found himself socially powerless, thrust aside by the religion that no doubt he certainly wanted to be a part of. He was able to survive, though, because Judaism highly esteemed giving to the poor. And so he didn't starve to death. He was able to survive. But this was a man who was shamed, who was marginalized, who was disassociated, and who was barely getting by. He was pitifully aware of his condition. There is no two ways about it. He knew the circumstances that he was in. But when Jesus came along, Bartimaeus realized that Jesus could do something for him that no religious good intention could ever do, nor could any social program ever do. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth that was coming by, he realized that Jesus had something to offer, that he could do for him what nobody else could or was willing to do. And so what did he do? We read it in the story. He called upon Jesus. He used the Jewish messianic national title, Son of David. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he was calling out repeatedly. What this illustrates to us is that though this man was aware of his condition, I don't want you to forget that phrase. Though this man was aware of his pitiful condition, he was wonderfully aware of Jesus. Not only was he aware, but he was hopeful about the person of Jesus, evidenced by the fact that he called upon him repeatedly. And though he was blind, 
He saw something about the person of Jesus Christ. Somebody once very bluntly asked Helen Keller, isn't it terrible to be blind? Just said it to her. And she had the most amazing response. She said, better to be blind and see with your heart than have two good eyes and see nothing. You see, this man who was marginalized, disenfranchised, and thrust to the side, though he couldn't see with his eyes, he saw something in the person of Jesus. Evidenced by the fact that he not only called upon Jesus, but he called upon Jesus with a right understanding. Jesus, son of David. In Hebraic talk in the first century, that meant Jesus, Messiah, Savior of the nation and the world. Jesus, Deliverer. Jesus, Healer. Jesus, King Jesus. He had a right understanding about Jesus, and he also had a right request from Jesus. He said, Jesus, have mercy on me, brothers and sisters, from one sinner to another. That is the right thing to ask of Jesus Christ, that he would have mercy on us. You see, in this world, we look for and we highly esteem justice. But you must know that in the world to come, if you're going to spend eternity in heaven with him, you're going to need mercy from Jesus. Don't come to God looking for justice. Come looking for mercy. When it comes to a holy and right and righteous God, brothers and sisters, in all humility, we need mercy. We need God to have mercy on us because we are a sinful, broken, weird people. I think we all understand that. He's crying upon Jesus to have mercy on him. I want you to notice that there were many voices that told him to be quiet, it said in verse 48. They were saying, stop it. Quit calling upon Jesus. And I think for many of us, we've heard these voices. I think, in fact, some of you here right now this morning, you're hearing those voices. Those voices that are saying, Jesus can't do anything for you. What do you think Jesus is going to do about you? You think Jesus cares about you? You're just a blind beggar. He's not worried about you. He's on his way to Jerusalem for the cross and the salvation of the world, man. You think Jesus is really thinking about you? You've heard those voices, haven't you? They say, don't call upon Jesus. He can't do anything. Why would you call upon him anyway? There's lots of other religious leaders. There's lots of other saviors. There's many ways to heaven. Wait a minute. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody gets to heaven except through me, Jesus said. Now, I understand, as you no doubt are thinking, that that's a radical claim. It's a claim of absolute exclusivity above and beyond all the other religious leaders in history. But Jesus did a little something, brothers and sisters. He did a little something that elevates his claims above everybody else's. That is, he predicted and pulled off his own resurrection from the dead. Nobody else in the history of the world 
has ever predicted and pulled off their own resurrection from the dead but Jesus Christ. And furthermore, nobody else has ever offered to pay the price for your sins. Understand that most religious leaders want you to do something for them and then they might do something in return. Jesus came to do it all for us. Jesus came to die a substitutionary death on the cross so that we might live. He came to pay our price for sin so that we wouldn't have to. And he rose from the dead that we might have everlasting life. There are other so-called religions in the world that say, you go out and die for your God and he might let you into paradise. Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, looked over at the thief and said, today you will be with me in paradise because Jesus died for the sins of the world. Amen? Amen. And he keeps crying out all the more, even though there's those voices that say, forget about Jesus. Why are you calling upon Jesus? They're trying to quiet him, but he keeps calling out. And I want you to take very careful note this morning that Jesus responded to him. It says in verse 49, and Jesus stopped. Don't miss the profundity of the moment. Jesus stopped. As I said before, he's just 18 miles from Jerusalem. He's just a week away from the cross. He's heading to Jerusalem for the greatest act of love and mercy and grace the world has ever known. But when this blind man on the side of the road said, Jesus, help me, the Lord of heaven and earth stopped that day for him. Because our God is a compassionate God. You must know that our God is a God of mercy and compassion as evidenced by the fact that Jesus cares about the marginalized and the powerless. He cares about the disenfranchised and the broken, about the disassociated, the dissed, and the pushed aside. Jesus cares about them. And he doesn't come with a program. He comes with new life. And Jesus Christ is not a Democrat nor is he a Republican, nor is he an Independent. He is the all-sufficient one Jesus Christ is. And when it comes to broken humanity and our needs, Jesus is the only one that can fully meet them and satisfy them. And people, we got to understand this morning that we are in need. You see, Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, he's a picture of you and I. He's a picture of you and I in our spiritual condition. Not all of you realize this, and this is why we're here to speak about it this morning. We are not all okay. I know that's a popular mantra. We're all okay, but the Bible says that we're not spiritually okay, that we are sinners who've offended a holy God. In fact, Jesus said in the New Testament, you say, I'm rich, and I've become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Jesus says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, 
so that you may become rich with white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and eye salve will be given to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see, the Bible declares that we are spiritually bankrupt. That humanity in general is spiritually blind. Now, we mask it with all sorts of things. We talk about all sorts of spiritualities and pseudo-spiritualities. But the Bible, which is proven to be authoritative, and Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, says that we are spiritually bankrupt, spiritually impoverished, that we are in need of provision in actuality of a Savior. And that is God's perspective of humanity, is that we are broken and bankrupt. But there is hope. Jesus said in the famous Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed or happy are those who are poor in spirit now, in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word used to speak of poor means one who is cowering like a beggar. In classical Greek, the word referred to someone who was reduced to begging in dark corners because they were ashamed to be seen. It's a picture of the beggar with a cloak who covers himself for fear of being seen and thrusts forth a trembling hand who is utterly dependent on somebody else to be okay. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are spiritually poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And Bartimaeus was that kind of guy in the physical realm covered in the cloak, hand thrust forward, dependent upon others. But he wouldn't stop crying out. And notice that his cries brought into his life mercy and healing. We need to call upon Jesus Christ because you and I in the spiritual realm are bankrupt. We're like Bartimaeus. And what we need to become aware of is our spiritual condition. And once we are made aware of our spiritual condition, then we can be made wonderfully hopeful about Jesus. You see, he's the Savior of the world. But you've got to come to the point where you realize that you need a Savior. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short. That every one of us is in need of Jesus Christ. When we talk about being spiritually poor, we realize that the Spirit means the inner person. Things having to do with the inside. The body is the outer part. We're to come before Jesus as spiritual beggars, saying, Lord, I need you. I understand that you died on the cross to pay my price for my sins that I might live. And blessed are those who are spiritually poor. Why? The inference being that God will meet them. God said through the prophet Isaiah, I will look to this one, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. To the one who is contrite. What does it mean to be contrite? It means to be remorseful, to be repentant, to understand that we're guilty. The psalmist said the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Again, the psalmist said, the sacrifice God desires is a broken spirit. And God, you will not reject a broken and repentant heart. And again, the prophet Isaiah says, 
the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite, remorseful, repentant, and humble. I restore, God says, the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. And what we begin to understand is that if we're going to connect with God, we need to repent of our sins. Jesus Christ is God draped in humanity through the incarnation. And he died on the cross to deal with the sin issue. But if we're going to deal with it, we need to be willing to repent of our sins. The New Testament says this in the book of James. God is opposed to the proud. Notice this. Listen to me, you. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. You see, the problem with much of humanity is we don't accept what the Bible says, that we are spiritually bankrupt. We're incredibly proud. But let me talk to you now. Every one of us knows that in the dark hour of the night, there is a longing. There's something missing. You've tried to fill it up with everything that you could find and everything that you could buy. You've tried to fit different relations into that void and different relationships, different possessions. You thought if you just had the right position or the right reputation, that it might feel that nagging longing, that it might somehow fulfill that unending desire. It'll never happen. You were designed to know and enjoy God, but you are separated by your sins. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins that we might come before him, repent of our sins, turn from them and to God and be forgiven. And at that moment, the void is filled, forgiveness is extended, and we are given brand new life. And so don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Humble yourself before God. He made you. He made all things. To be, poor in, to be poor in spirit doesn't mean to be lazy or indifferent or a victim. It means to get rid of all sense of self-sufficiency and depend upon Jesus Christ for eternity. What will you say, O oh man, when you stand at the gates of heaven and Jesus is there? And he says, why should I let you in? If your answer at that moment has anything to do with you or what you did or didn't do, you'll have the wrong answer, brothers and sisters. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's about what Jesus Christ did. He stopped for the blind, broken beggar that day and he healed him. And we need to become as broken spiritual beggars this day that we might receive healing from the person of Jesus Christ. The only answer when we stand at the gates 
to Jesus as to why he should let us in is Jesus I trusted in your finished work upon the cross. I believed in you and I repented of my sins and you are my savior. At that moment, you'll be saved. Notice what Jesus wanted to communicate to this man. He told his disciples in verse 49 to say something very specific. The disciples went to the man who had been crying out, who got past all the other voices that were saying, be quiet. And they said to him, take courage. Get up. He is calling you. Bartimaeus just thought he was calling on Jesus. Turns out Jesus was calling on him. And that's the truth for some of you today. And I'll say to you the same thing those disciples said to that blind beggar that day. Be of good courage. Get up. Jesus is calling you. In just a moment, I'm going to call some of you to do that very thing. Just like blind Bartimaeus had to approach Jesus in public, I'm going to ask some of you to come forward to Jesus Christ today. I'm going to say to you, be of good courage. Get up. Jesus is calling you. Some of you know that God has been calling you, and you've been running from that call. Some of you have never surrendered to him, and yet you have that nagging sense of guilt and emptiness in the middle of the night. It's only Jesus that can deal with that. You're going to need to come today. Some of you are prodigals. You used to know Jesus, but you've walked away. You need to come back to Jesus today too. You see, when blind Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus responded, he called him Rabboni. It means my master. It just got personal. He wasn't trusting in any religious thing or anybody else's relationship with Jesus Christ. It just got personal. He came to Jesus and said, my master. A wonderful expression of hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice that Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you need from the Lord? He's here, brothers and sisters. He's willing to meet you today. And the most pressing need is a spiritual reality that we all deal with and the truth of eternity. And unless you repent of your sins and come to the person of Jesus Christ and trust in his finished work on the cross, you will not spend eternity in heaven. You will spend eternity as separated from him. Those are his words. And his words, above all others in history, have validity because of his resurrection from the dead. What do you want the Lord to do for you? He's calling you today. I want you to notice in verse 50 that he threw aside his cloak and he came to Jesus. He knew that he couldn't hide anymore. The blind beggar would hide underneath that cloak and just extend a hand. And any blind man would want to stay near to his cloak where he could find it at any moment. But this man knew that the day of the cloak was gone and the day of the Lord had come. He knew that he was going to have to lay aside the old things, the things that he used to hide behind and trust him and that reputation and that old identity and come to Jesus and that his life would forever be changed. Jesus is calling some of you today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward and they're going to begin to play right now. And then in a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ to recognize that apart from him, you're spiritually bankrupt. And to get up out of your seat and to come forward right here where I'll lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ. Some of you, you're just backsliders, you're prodigals. You're not right with the Lord and you know it. 
It's time to come home, brothers and sisters. It's time to come home. It's time to throw off that cloak that you're hiding behind, to leave behind that self-sufficiency and come to Jesus Christ. Maybe you brought someone here today, grab them by the hand and say, you want to go get some Jesus? I'll go with you. He's here today, and he's here to deal with a spiritual need. And he called blind Bartimaeus in public. Don't be ashamed. Brothers and sisters, are you four people that would come to Jesus today? As we sing this song, if you know you need Jesus, you come forward right now and we'll meet you right here. This song is absolutely true. For those of you that have come forward, Jesus conquers the grave. And you will be given this day everlasting life. going to forgive your sins. He's going to remove the guilt. He's going to enter into your life. He's going to do a new thing. He's a God of new things. He's going to do a new thing. And so I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm just going to lead you in it. It's just a prayer to say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. You pray this out loud if you want or in the quietness of your heart. You just mean it to the Lord Jesus Christ and he'll hear you. God, I just confess that I'm a sinner today. But I realize that you, Lord, are the Savior. And I come before you and I repent of my sins and I ask that, Jesus, you would forgive me. That you would save me now. That you would have mercy on me, Jesus. That you'd wash away the pain and the shame and the guilt. That you would fill and satisfy the longing. That you would be my Savior and my King, Jesus. I don't understand it all, but as best as I know how, I give myself to you. As best as I know how, I give myself to you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, listen. We got some people that want to pray for you, talk to you. They'll give you a Bible if you need. And so you can just go out this way, and there's people right there waiting for you. I promise you nothing weird happens at this time. Okay, many of these people have done the same thing, but they want to pray for you. Make sure you're cool and tell you how to get started in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Did you know this? Did you know this? The Bible says that when any sinner on earth repents, that the angels in heaven rejoice, and it's way louder than this. <laughs> 